You can be seated. It's a good day to be in church. If we haven't met yet, my name is John. I have the privilege of leading 1132 Leadership College. I have the privilege of leading our school of ministry, and I'm just so excited to bring you the word uh, today. I got to do a couple of things before I bring the word to you. Number one, um, you know, we are one house with many rooms, and so uh, we don't just have a campus here in Allen. We also have campuses in Wiley and Frisco uh, that are meeting right now. We've got a worldwide campus that I want to welcome. We got people who tune in online every single week, and we just want to acknowledge you. Thank you so much for tuning in. We believe God's doing something special in your life. Um, Our lead pastor, Pastor Dustin Bates, is just the best. Can we just stop for a second and say he's the best? And something really cool happened this weekend. He was preaching in Las Vegas for Pastor Benny Perez. And uh, he's supposed to just preach on a Friday, uh, fly back on Saturday and preach here Sunday. But God started moving in such a powerful way on Friday that the team asked him, hey, would you please stay and minister throughout the whole weekend? And so I just think that's so incredible. God is expanding the influence and the impact. And so, Pastor Dustin, we love you so much. We miss you. We're excited to have you back next week. And um, today we're, oh, I got one announcement for you, one very spiritual, powerful, prophetic announcement. That is Man Night is Tuesday. Okay. Uh, If you're a man in, in the room, man, I love, like, the creativity of Man Night. Like, the ladies' events were, like, flourish nights. Man night is just man night, just man, men uh, gathering. And it's going to be fun. We're going to eat meat, and we're going to compete against one another, okay? That's basically what we're doing. So if you're a man in the room this Tuesday at the Allen Campus, 7 p.m., bring a cut of meat, bring a lawn chair. It's going to be incredible, and I encourage you to be there. We are continuing, continuing our series today entitled Wake Up. Bump your neighbor, say wake up. Bump your other neighbor, say you got to wake up. Gotta wake up. And the heartbeat of this series is simply this. We want to be awake to what God is saying and awake to what God is doing. You know, a couple of months ago, something tragic nearly happened. I almost missed a flight. Anybody ever missed a flight? There's nothing worse than the feeling, the dread of running through an airport. And uh, I had been on a lot of airplanes for two weeks in a row. I had flown overnight from Kona to Phoenix. It was my connecting flight to Dallas. I had one more flight to get home. And uh, I got to my gate an hour and a half early. And I laid down, I was, I was traveling with JG, and uh, I laid down there at the gate, and uh, I just decided, you know, I'm going to take a quick nap, and JG will wake me up when it's time to go. Well, JG, I didn't know this, but he was thinking, I'm going to take a quick nap, and PJ will wake me up when it's time to go. So both of us fall asleep, and we are out, out. I'm talking like slobber dripping off our face, embarrassing if someone took a picture out. And I wake up an hour and a half later, to Jonathan George slapping my foot. I open my eyes and see him sprinting. And I take out my AirPods and I hear the words, last call for Dallas. And so I disoriented bedhead. I grab my stuff. I run to the gate. And fortunately, I make it just in time. And when I find out I made it just in time, I started joking with the lady. I said, you know, I had to get that nap in. She's like, yeah, you almost missed your flight. She was not happy uh, that I had delayed the experience. And uh, here's the moral, church, of the story. Like, why are you telling us this story? The moral of the story is I was in the right place at the right time, and I almost missed it because I was sleeping. And the truth is, here you are at Church 1132, in the right place, at the right time, 
But if you're spiritually sleeping, you just might miss what God has for you. This is why I believe fully that we can be wide awake physically and in the natural, but spiritually we can be in a state of slumber. This is why Ephesians 5.14 says it like this, Awake you who sleep, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. The goal today is to wake up. And this is what the Bible says in Isaiah 43.19. It says, See, I'm doing a new thing. This is our theme verse for this series. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. When is it springing up? Right now, not next week, not next month, not next year. I've heard too many prophetic words from preachers who are saying, in the next five years, God's going to do something powerful. Revival's coming to America. And I love those words, but my Bible says I'm doing something right now. Like as I preach, God's doing something. He doesn't take a day off. He doesn't take a moment off. So we don't even have to wait for the keys to come and make me sound spiritual for God to do something in your life. He's doing something when? Right now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. God has something new for you. God has something powerful for you. God has something fresh for you. But the question is not today, is God doing something new? The question is, can you perceive it? The question is, can you see it? Are you awake to it? Say it one more time. Say, wake up. So the goal today is to wake up to what God is saying, what God is doing, and I'm going to show you how can I wake up to it. Why? Because we cannot afford to be a people who are not awake to what God is doing. Is anybody, let me just ask this question. Any iPhone users in the room? Let me see where the iPhone users at. This is where I'm supposed to insert a corny joke about Android users and dismiss you from the service and everything like that. But I'll spare you the corny Android joke. But I can't have green texts in my life. I'm just going to say that right now. Every once in a while, the iPhone will release what they call an update. And for some reason, the woman that I am betrothed to hates updating her phone. I don't know if I'm the only spouse in the room who has this problem with my spouse, but she hates updating her phone. Y'all, she's still on iOS 1. Her Instagram icon is still brown. Her phone thinks that Steve Jobs is still the CEO and it's going to be devastated when she updates her phone. There are some places that maps will not take her to because the buildings were not built yet. I'm like, girl, you gotta update her phone, but the funny thing is I'll see her scrolling on her phone frustrated. She's like, why is my phone so slow? She doesn't talk like that. I don't know why I use that voice. (laughs) And my question is always the same. When is the last time, baby boo, that you updated your phone? Or when is the last time your phone received something new? Because it was not designed to function on yesterday's update or last month's update or last year's revival night. I mean update because we're talking about iPhones, not people, right? You and I were not, well, we got offended. I just let me rewind real quick. You and I were not designed to live on yesterday's revelation. You and I were not designed to live on yesterday's new thing. You and I have an update that is fresh right now. You know, the Bible says it like this there are new mercies every morning. And I think a lot of people use that as an escape from yesterday's sin, when in reality, it's an invitation into what He has for us today. He wants to do something in and through your life, it's new. And so the question today is, how do I receive the update? How do I walk in this new thing? And I believe that the scriptures leading up to Isaiah 43, 19 answer that for us. We're gonna jump in Isaiah 43, 14 
through 19 is where we're going to be reading. The context of this scripture is Israel is in Babylonian captivity. They were once prisoners of Egypt. Now they're prisoners of Babylon because of the mistakes that they've made. They've ran back to idols, and it's led them to this point. And this is what Isaiah 43, 14 through 19 says. It says, this is what the Lord says. How many of you know you better pay attention when the verse starts like that? Your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I will send to Babylon and bring down as fugitives all the Babylonians in the ships in which they once took pride. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's Creator, your King. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea and a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses and the army of reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again. Extinguished, snuffed out like the wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. And these verses lead to the scripture. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, we invite you into these moments right now. I just speak to this room and I say that there's breakthrough right now. Every wall that is in the way of what you want to say, what you want to do, we break it right now in Jesus' name. We say, come and speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to pull a couple of thoughts out of this text. It's going to position us to receive the new thing. How many want to receive a new thing from God? Let me see your hand. And so this, is, this, this scripture shows us how do I position myself? How do I wake up to the new thing? And here's the first thing. It's so simple today. I have to remember who he is. Verse 15, he says to the people of Israel he's, who have been walking with him for generations, he says, I am the Lord, your holy one, Israel's creator, your king. He's saying before you get to the new stuff, I've got to remind you of some age-old truths. The truth is, if the way that we see God determines the way that we hear God. If I see God as angry, I will hear God as angry. If I see God as distant, I will hear him as distant. If I see a diminished view of God, I will have a diminished view of the new thing that he wants to do. But if I see him as a big God, my conclusion is the new thing that he's doing is big. If my God is small, the new thing will be small. If, there is a, if, if I see him as small or lacking in power or lacking in ability, then my conclusion is going to be, you don't have the power to help me overcome this situation. And, and so we've got to see him for who he is. I was driving with my son a couple of months ago, and he was telling me what he wanted for his birthday. And he casually informed me that he would like an excavator for his birthday. And he clarified, Dad, I don't want a toy excavator. I want a real excavator. I don't know if you've shopped excavators lately, but they run a cool 75 grand. I hate to disappoint you, but I don't have it like that. And he said it so casually. Yeah, when you get around to it, just get me an excavator. And uh, the problem is he was overestimating Dad's resources. And I think many times what you and I do is we overestimate the capabilities of man and underestimate the capabilities of God. But I've got really good news for you today is that no man, hear this, no man in history has ever overestimated God. Even back to the beginning, even back to the scriptures, David who gave himself to poetically declaring the greatness of God only ever underestimated him. 
Moses, who spoke to God face to face as a friend speaks to a friend, who saw wonders in Egypt, only ever underestimated God. Peter, James, John, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, me and you, we have only ever fallen short of the greatness of our God. The Bible says in the Psalms that he is so great, his greatness is unsearchable. The finite mind cannot comprehend that which is infinite, and it is literally impossible to overestimate infinity. And the reason why I'm telling you that is because I need to let you know that you can pray really big prayers. And you can dream really big dreams. And you can walk with really, come on somebody, you can live with great faith and believe that the new thing is big because he's a big God. Touch your neighbor say, he's a big God. We need to get this move moving a little, uh, this move, room moving a little bit. Come on, Jesus. Come on, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the anointing right now. Here's, what, here's what's interesting about the story. This, this nation had been walking with God for a century. In fact, before Israel was a nation, Israel was a person. Before Israel was a person named Israel, Israel's name was what? Anyone know? Trivia, Jacob, let's go. Bonus points. And the first thing that God said to Jacob was these exact words, I am the Lord. So this was not God introducing himself to Israel. This was God reintroducing himself to Israel. And I sensed this so strongly as I was preparing this message that there are a lot of people in this room who need to be reintroduced to who God is. And he's saying it's great that you know the stories. It's great that you have a cognitive, intellectual awareness of who I am and my existence. And it's great that you've been doing this since Sunday school, but I've been doing this since the sun had its first day. And it's great that you know the songs and you sing the words, but allow me, church, to reintroduce myself. He says, I'm the Lord, I'm the King, I'm your Holy One. I am that I am. Come on, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. He says, allow me to introduce myself. I'm the God of the impossible. I am the infinite one. I'm the lily of the valley, the chief among 10,000. My eyes burn like fire. Can we talk about who Jesus is today. We need to be reintroduced to this God. He says, I traded a crown of thorns for a crown of glory. I traded a Roman cross for a heavenly throne. As I was preparing this message, I heard him say, tell my people that my hands still have holes in them. He said, tell my people that my feet are still pierced and there's still a wound in my side. Tell my people there are still marks where I wore the crown of thorns. There are still stripes on my back and guess what? They still heal. He said, tell my people that I've got the scars to prove. I am still the God you once believed me to be. Do you need to be reintroduced to who God is today? He's the risen one merciful one. He's the door to salvation. He is the rock of ages. He is unchallenged. He is undefeated. In fact, did you, can I pause for a moment and, and remind you that we fight a defeated foe? Do you know that when Jesus said it is finished on the cross, he conquered the enemy? 
This is why I hate this. I don't know why this picture has not been deleted or destroyed yet, but there's this picture that has been circulating the internet for about 10 years now. It's this picture of Jesus and Satan arm wrestling. Have you seen this picture? I think we have it right here. Okay, so this. This is very theologically problematic for a couple of reasons. Number one, this is a very Caucasian version of Jesus. That's red flag number one. But also, Jesus and the enemy are not hand in hand in some cosmic battle for authority. Jesus' nail-scarred foot has crushed the serpent's head, and he is right now victorious over your enemy. We live intimidated over a serpent that has been destroyed and broken down. I am done living scared of an enemy that has been defeated. He's a lion, but he don't have no teeth. And he's a devourer, but God has stripped him of his authority. In fact, Colossians says that he has disarmed every principality and power. So, yes, they fight against you, but they don't have any weapons. You can, okay, thank you. I was going to have you take down that very scary image of, say goodbye to white Jesus, okay? (laughs) Israel, you got to remember who I am. This is why David said in the Psalms, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Because he's teaching us that whether you magnify what you're facing or magnify the God that we serve, it's up to you. And I think in 2022, we live like we have a big diagnosis and a small God. We have a big mountain and a small God, a big challenge and a small God, a a big situation and a small God. And God is simply shaking Israel awake in this moment and saying, don't forget who I am. And I feel like I have a simple prophetic word for our church. He's just saying, I'm more powerful than you think. I'm more faithful than you think. I am bigger and better than you could have ever possibly imagined if we want to receive the new thing here's number one we got to remember who our God is here's number two we got to remember what he's done remember what he's done the text continues and it says this is what the Lord says he who made a way through the sea and a path through the mighty waters who drew out the chariots and horses the army and reinforcements together they lay together there never to rise again extinguished snuffed out like the wick remember what god has done israel just in case you forgot church 1132 just in case you forgot i'm still the god that splits seas now, it makes sense that God would remind Israel that he split the sea because this is five to 600 years after the Exodus. So they are as far removed as the sea splitting as you and I are removed from the discovery of America. And there's something about time that will either lullaby you to sleep or strengthen your relationship with him. And here Israel is, they once knew God, they once loved God, They once had confidence in his miracle-working power. See, I guarantee the moment that they crossed the sea and looked over their shoulder, they said, yeah, God works miracles. But then a decade passes, and they say, we once believed God worked miracles. And then maybe two decades, three decades, a few generations pass, and as they're telling the stories to their children, they say, history records that God worked a miracle. 
And then maybe little by little they get to the place where time has lullabied them to sleep. And they say, does God really work? Here I am, a captive to Babylon. But the reality is Israel was not just captive to Babylon. Israel was captive to their short memory. Israel was captive to the thinking, the mindset, does God still move? And I wonder if we have a church that is so far removed from the new thing that God is doing that they're saying, does God still move? Does God still work miracles? Remember, it's January 6th, 2016. I got a call from my brother. My brother said, hey, you need to get to Dallas. I was living in Mississippi at the time. He said, I need you to get to Dallas. Dad's been in a motorcycle wreck. I started asking about the details and ambulance was following my daddy. He slid on his, on 75, he lost control of his bike. He slid 50, around 50 feet. And the thing that stopped him was a head-on collision with the curb. Ambulance picks him up, drives him to the ICU. And so my wife, I asked my brother, I said, what's worst case scenario here? He said, worst case scenario is he doesn't make it. And so my wife and I, we pack up in the car, we drive through the night to get to Dallas, and I walk into the room where my dad is laying. He's got tubes everywhere. He's non-responsive. And I'm a faith guy, and I grew up in this, but it's very hard to believe that God is going to do something new when you're confronted with what the enemy is doing. Like, for me, it's really easy to believe and have faith for you, but when it hits my house, that's when it's... And so I remember... Just being like, God, what, what's going to happen here? And the doctors are saying he might be brain dead. The doctors are saying he might be blind. The doctors are saying he might not make it out of this. And I'm in a place where I'm a faith guy that's lacking faith. And for 21 days, my dad was fighting for his life. And my, my brother at the time, my older brother, he's a traveling evangelist. He would go into churches and he would preach and he had 21, ironically, he had 21 meetings, services booked that month. And uh, he asked my mom, he said, do you want me to cancel all of these services so that I can be here with you? And my mom said, no, I want you to go and I want you to call me and tell me about the miracles that happened. And so my brother begins to minister and over these 21 days, they saw miracles Begin to break out. There was one man that came. I can't remember if he was partially blind or totally blind. In one of his eyes, you could see cataracts in his eyes. You could see like this milky fog over his eyes. And as they prayed for him at the altar, they literally in front of their eyes saw that thing dissolve as if God was creating a new eye. They, they brought this lady, the, this little girl who had cerebral palsy. She was four years old and she had never walked. And in that service, as they began to pray, she began to take a few steps. And a few months later, the family sent my brother a video of her running. Why? Because we have a God that still heals, a God that still works miracles. And for me, I'm sitting in this hospital room and I'm not connecting the dots. But there was a moment where I felt like God told me, you need to count up the miracles. And so I just started looking at the story and counting up the miracles. He was being followed by an ambulance. That's miracle number one. He survived the wreck. That's miracle number two. The blind see. The lame 
walk. And I feel like God was saying to me, he's saying, son, if I split the sea here, and I split the sea here, and I split the sea here, what do you think I'm going to do in this situation? And we began, we began to pray with boldness. We began to pray with faith. And after day 21, on day 22, they moved him out of the ICU. Little by little, he got better. He's alive and well today. Why? Because God still works miracles. If you have an impossible situation in front of you, I want to encourage you, count up the miracles. Count up every time God's been faithful. Go forward by looking back. David says in Psalm 77, I will remember the wonders of the Lord. you got to count up the miracles. Well, my life isn't as miraculous as that. I've never seen miracles like that. I would propose to you that your life is a whole lot more miraculous than you could ever imagine. If you can't count up the miracles, let me do it for you. There's breath in your lungs. That's a miracle. Your heart is beating in your chest. That's a miracle. I think there are some diseases that the enemy wrote your name on and sent them to your house, but they never made it because they ran into the miracle worker. I think there are some demonic attacks that were on their way that the, that the king of kings said, not this person, not my child, not my son, not my daughter. I think there are some, I mean, this is like, we need to give glory to God and realize there are probably some car rides that should have been my last. There are probably some plane rides that should have been your last. I wonder how many times the devil tried to take me out and take you out, but God said, I'm going to draw the line in the sand and protect. That's a miracle. So I want to encourage you today. Count up every miracle. And when I remember the miracles, it says, it gives me room to say, oh, my goodness, the new thing is, <laughs> the new thing is something he can do in me. I got to remember who God is. I remember what he's done. And here's, here's number three. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 43, he says, forget the former things. Forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. If I'm going to position myself for the new thing, I've got to remember who he is. I've got to remember what he's done. But here's number three. I've got to forget yesterday. I think there are a lot of people who are allowing shame to hold them in yesterday. And God says, God says to Israel, Israel, before I can take you into something new, I have to break you free from yesterday's sins. I remember one time I was, uh, I was learning how to wakeboard. And by learning how to wakeboard, I mean failing to learn how to wakeboard. And I had everyone there who was trying to give me advice, which is just my favorite thing when 10 different people are giving you instructions. And, and so I was there, you know, laying in the water and for 30 minutes, I'm attempting to like get this thing down. And if you're expecting a comeback story where at the very end, I get it, don't expect that. I just failed every time. It's nothing but failure. But on the very last time I was determined and I said, this is gonna be the time that I stand up and wakeboard. And, uh, and so I start coming up out of the water. I'm like, this is my moment. But again, don't get encouraged or excited. It's, it ends poorly. And I start to stand up and I'm like this. And then my friend gravity starts to get involved and I start going like this. And I fall flat on my face and the boat is still going. But guess what? I'm still holding on to the rope. And I'm going 
through the water. And I didn't know this at the time because I was under the water, but the people on the boat were, were yelling at me. They were saying, let go of the rope. <laughs> let go of the rope. Let go of the rope. But I was determined. I was holding on. And fortunately, I snapped out of it and let go. And I'm alive today. Here I am to live, to tell the story. Yeah, come on. It's a miracle. It's like, no, bro, you're just not that smart. <laughs> It's a silly story, but I think it's a picture of what a lot of people might be doing in this room is you're holding on to yesterday's sin. Holding on to yesterday's past. Holding on to yesterday's shame, yesterday's regret, yesterday's relationships, yesterday's broken situations. And, and you don't know it right now, but it's actually killing you. It's actually drowning you. It's preventing you from the new thing. And God sent me on assignment today to say, you just got to let go of yesterday. See, Israel was in this situation because they had given themselves to idols. They had made decisions themselves. I can't imagine the shame as they sit there in shackles as prisoners because of their own decisions. But God in kindness and in mercy says to them, I know you've walked out on me a thousand times. I know you've responded to the altar call a thousand times and then left. And I know you've texted yes one about a dozen times. I know you've said yes to me and walked away, but here I am again pleading with you, let go of yesterday. Let go of yesterday's sin. Let go of yesterday's shame. Friends, this is the crux of the gospel. That as Jesus was dying on the cross, in John chapter 19, he breathed his last. He said these words, it is finished. As Jesus was letting go of his natural earthly life, he was empowering you to let go of every past mistake, every past sin. In fact, the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You can let go of yesterday right now. Can we give God praise for the fact that he's not holding our past against us? He's got something new for you right now.